You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hutspeth, and we have a very, very special episode today. We have a guest that a year and a half ago, even even six months ago, I probably never would have guessed that I would have been able to get on, uh, but we are talking to the one and only Mr. Tony Peterson. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Tony is, he started out as a an outdoor writer and um, man, when podcast became a thing, he was kind of, I would say, kind of one of the underground type guys. Like, uh, he, he didn't have a podcast or anything, but he, he started appearing on a couple and quickly his, uh, his fame grew as just a, just a go-getter and uh, just, a, a, just a whitetail killer, honestly. And um, he now works for Mark Kenyon and Meat Eater. Uh, he's part of the Wired to Hunt podcast. He uh, has his own show on Mark's feed and then also kind of does a, a guest host type role for Mark. And uh, so, yeah, he's working for Meat Eater now full time, um, still does a lot of writing for them. Uh, he's put out books. He, it, yeah, he's just very, very well known in the whitetail world. And uh, kind of the reason I wanted to have him on is because. Uh, his specialty is kind of quick, uh, get it done on a short amount of time type hunts. Um, uh, you know, now he's doing it more professionally, but uh, before, you know, he he has a family, he was working, and so he would do a lot of like out of state, you know, long weekend type hunts. And uh, for those of you who are are new to the show, uh, I just started talking about it about two weeks ago. I recently found out I'm about ninety five percent sure that I'm going to be doing a, a early September whitetail hunt in Nebraska. Uh, we talk about all the details on the show, uh, so I'm not going to get into it too much now, but um, I, I've never hunted uh, Nebraska. I've really not really hunted out of state. I've hunted Texas and Oklahoma a lot, uh, but I've kind of done that my whole life. So this is my first like long destination type out-of-state hunt. Uh, it's going to be a long weekend. I'm going Labor Day weekend. Uh, I will not be able to step foot on the property prior to the hunt, so I'm only doing like online scouting. And then, uh, yeah, it's going to be a quick, you know, get there, hunt, and then get home type hunt. And like I said, that is like exactly what Tony is good at. And so reached out to him through some other folks, uh, was able to get a hold of him. He agreed to come on the show. And so we have uh, just an awesome talk. Uh, we talk about this upcoming hunt. Um, I've also like never hunted farm country. We talk about the challenges, the challenges of uh, hunting around corn. Um, you know, we don't. I don't know if soybeans are going to be on the neighbors. They're not going to be on the property I hunt. Uh, it's going to be corn, CRP, and timber. So we talk about you know how the deer are going to use those. We think um, you know what the challenges are, what the benefits are, all that good stuff. And then we also just talk about uh, actually hunting in Oklahoma quite a bit. Tony's a big fan of Oklahoma, um, so we talk about the Oklahoma deer structure. 
Um, it's just it's just a really good conversation. Uh, I had a lot of fun, and uh, man, Tony was like way more personable and awesome than I ever could have imagined. So he's just a super good guy. Uh, so I think y'all are going to like this episode. So that's what we got going today. Um, typically at the beginning of the episode, I kind of ramble on about, you know, what I've been up to lately and things like that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and push that stuff to the end. Uh, so that that way, you know, folks who are just here to listen to Tony get their fix, um, and then I'll ramble at the end. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to jump into the episode after a quick word from our sponsors. And then if you want to hear about the crazy amounts of money I spent on hunting gear in the last 24 hours, stick around. Or if you want to hear about my daughter using me as a human burp rag, uh, stick around because I got a story about that too. So, but again, we're going to save that to the end. We're going to jump into the interview first. So thank you guys for tuning into this here podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I haven't done this in a while, but if you wouldn't mind jumping on iTunes and giving this podcast a five-star review, I would really appreciate it. Um, as usual, hit me up on social media, Oklahoma Outdoors podcast on all that. And I think that is going to do it. So once again, we got Tony Peterson, an awesome show coming up right after a word from our sponsors. Arrowhead Land Company continues to grow and they want to bring you along for the ride. They have agents all over the state ready to help you with all your land buying or selling needs. Big or small, for business or personal use, it doesn't matter. If you want to buy or sell land in Oklahoma, Arrowhead Land Company is there to help make your dreams a reality. Part of my spending spree this weekend was four new cell cameras to go along with the several I already have, and you can bet that I'll be taking all that trail camera data and entering it into Deer Lab. I know you guys have heard me talk about Deer Lab before, but it's because I truly believe it can help folks track down a buck on your property that you just can't seem to catch up with. Deer Lab helps you organize your photos and pull out real data such as weather, wind, moon, and time that can help you narrow in on exactly when you need to be in your stand. Check out DeerLab.com for more information and get that buck. I love getting my boat out on the lake, but now that I have a little girl, I'm always looking for a simple, easy way to get outdoors. If that sounds like you, head over to Private Water Fishing and sign up for your membership today. Not only does it give you an easy, hassle-free, private place to fish, but many of these lakes even include a boat of some kind for you to use so that you don't have to mess with getting yours out of storage. Add the fact that these large private lakes are professionally managed for trophy bass, and you really have nothing to lose. That's privatewaterfishing.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today, and we have a very special guest on with us. We're talking to the one and only Tony, Tony Peterson. Wow, I already screwed up. How you doing, Tony? <laughs> I'm doing good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I mentioned before we started recording, I'm pretty sleep deprived from my new baby. So uh, if I can't talk, that's why. Yeah, it, it happens, man. <laughs> Did you only have one baby though? Just one. Yep. First okay. one. Mm-hmm. So, um, Real quick question before we dive into this. Uh, I, I got kind of a funny question for you. If, if Let's say I ran into you at a hunting show or whatever, and uh, and I didn't know who you were, and I asked you who you work for. Would you claim Mark Kenyon or would you go straight oh. to Meat Eater? No, Mark and I are equals. He doesn't see, he didn't okay. see get the menu or the, the memo yet. Sorry. But uh, yeah, I have to remind him of that quite often because he thinks gotcha. he has a lot of seniority over me, but uh, uh-huh. he doesn't. Yeah, okay. We are, I just, we're equals at Meat Eater. In fact, I think I might be a little bit higher than him now, but I'm not sure. I, I would agree. I mean, I think all he does is fish. And so, uh, yeah, I could see you having the, uh, having the, the head over him. But. I, uh, I've had about 20 people in the last couple of weeks ask me like, does Kenyon do anything other than fly fish? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh-huh. Don't know. Yep. <laughs> well, cool, Tony. Well, uh, real quick, before we jump off the deep end here, why don't you give everybody, you know, in case somebody doesn't know who you are, just tell them a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what you do. Um, you know, I work for meat eater full-time now, but I was a, a freelance outdoor writer for, I guess, probably about 14 years. So I, I spent some time, you know, a decade as the, the equipment editor at Bowhunter Magazine and Bowhunter TV and, you know, written for, you know, all the old magazines that are going away now and uh, kind of transitioned into the new world of content creation with podcasts and stuff. But I've always just been, you know, super into the whitetail thing. And that's kind of kind of where my career has taken me has always been around uh, bow hunting whitetails. And so 
I hope I'm the right fit for this podcast. <laughs> I think you will be. I think you will be. Uh, you're a pretty experienced guy, and so I'm. I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, you know, I've. I probably not as much as you, you know, I'm a pretty experienced whitetail guy myself, but uh, I've kind of come into this situation we're going to talk about here today. And, and it's pretty out of my element. Um, I, I kind of thought of the illustration. I feel like, I feel like somebody who's been in medical school for a long time and acquired all this knowledge. And I'm about to go in and do my first surgery. I'm actually going to get to use some of the stuff that I've been learning for years and years and years. So. Well, thank God um, this isn't that serious. It's just, <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. So, so for you and everybody listening, I'm going to give a quick little breakdown, of, of kind of what we've been referring to here. And then we're going to, to jump into some questions after that. But, um, um, basically my sister gave me the best gift she's ever given me. She got married and she married a Nebraska farm boy. And so they've actually been married for, I think two years now. Um, but they've actually just recently moved back to Nebraska. He got a job up there. And so it's kind of given me access to the farm and everything. They're currently building a house. Um, and so my brother-in-law's dad and brother are really the ones that do most of the farming, but just kind of be through the connection, you know, I, I'm going to get to hunt. And so, uh, the way it's kind of kind of come about and just with my schedule is I basically the only opportunity I have to get up there is Labor Day weekend, which I'm very excited about because I've never hunted whitetails in September. I've never done a velvet hunt. And uh, and so, like I said before, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, and so basically what I have access to is 110 acres. It's basically a perfect square and about half of it is tillable. And this year it's in corn. And then about a third of it is CRP. And then kind of up in the northeast corner, there's one little deal of hardwoods, um, kind of a timbered draw type thing. And so, um, you know, some of the challenges going into this hunt, uh, I won't be able to get any boots on the ground until I get there. Um, I have gotten some pictures from my sister and brother-in-law, but, you know, they're not really hunters. And so that's kind of, you know, they're, they're doing their best, I guess I could say. Um, it's going to be a quick hunt, you know, probably drive up there Friday, get to hunt Saturday, Sunday, maybe a little bit Monday morning. Then I got to head home. Uh, I've never hunted whitetails in September and I've never really hunted crop ground, like farm ground, as weird as that sounds. Uh, even growing up in a state like Oklahoma, where there are a lot of crops, I've basically just always hunted cattle country. And so because of all those challenges, I was able to bring the awesome Tony Peterson on the podcast and, and hopefully he's going to help us out with some of these challenges. Uh, maybe, man. Uh, do you know, is there any water on the place? I don't believe so. Okay. And it, it, all of the ag is either CRP or corn? That's correct. Yep. Uh, well, that kind of sucks. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, got some, uh, I thought that was going to be a, a thing. And so I got some questions about that. But Do you have, could you call your sister or your brother-in-law up and say, hey, does anybody, anybody that borders the property have a soybean field or alfalfa or anything? So I actually tried to text them about two hours before we got on here because I had a feeling that was going to be a question. So there is farm ground to the west and the south, um, but I haven't got an answer on, you know, what what it's in. Okay. So. I mean, you know, really what it's going to boil down to, if you, if you don't have the, the water option, you just got to figure out what the food situation is. Mm -hmm. And I know this is probably going to sound crazy because you, you're so limited on your time, but I would try to get there take a look at everything that borders that property and then find one situation to glass. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would spend the first night looking, I wouldn't mm -hmm. hunt probably unless, you know, unless you're driving through there and you just see something that where you're just like, Holy cow, I have to do this. Right. Uh, other, otherwise, you know I mean? Cause it's pretty consistent throughout the season in a lot of places with a lot of deer, where if you see them do something today, they'll do it tomorrow. And that's like never more true than when they're in velvet, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Mm -hmm. And so you're just going to have to get eyes on, on a, you know, a bachelor group and mm -hmm. really hope the conditions work in your favor to move in on them the next mm -hmm. day. Yeah. So that brings up my first question because, you know, like I said, most likely I'm going to have to work Friday and then drive up there and it's a pretty good drive. I think it's like a seven hour drive. Mm -hmm. And so probably not going to be, you know, make it in time to glass, Friday evening, would it be worth and how much information could I gain if I glassed like that Saturday morning? Like is is stuff you learn in the morning gonna translate that well to the evening time? Um, maybe, you know, I mean it, it's not as good as being able to watch in the evening, obviously, but I would what I would do is 
Well, let, let me ask you this: Are you bringing? Are you bringing stands? What? How do you plan to hunt? Saddle? Yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm going to bring everything. So I have. Okay. I have a lone wolf stand, and there are you know some trees. It's not completely barren, so that's an option. Um, I'm probably going to bring a ground blind just just because. Um, yep. And then you know I figure with the the corn and the CRP, there's obviously options for just hunting on the ground somewhere. So I'm going to have plenty of of tools in the basket as far as that's concerned. What I, what I would look at then, just you know just knowing your situation, I'd get up there, I'd get out there before first light and I'd be, I'd be looking around for what they're going to show you right at first light. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, you might see them pouring off of somebody's field coming back onto your in-laws place, or you might see, you know, they, they might give you something. And if not, I would probably still just do that. And then I would go into that woodlot and mm -hmm. see if there's a way to set up a stand for the next morning. Mm -hmm. Cause you don't, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't hunt mornings in the early season, but that's crazy to me. Like if you, yeah. if you have a chance, if they're coming back in there or they're coming back along the edge of the CRP to bed in there somewhere, you, you don't have enough time to just not hunt. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at the morning, like it's going to tell me what I'm doing tomorrow morning and kind of inform what I'm going to do tonight. Gotcha. And because, you know, it's not going to be like a, it's not going to be as beneficial glassing in the morning, driving around looking as it would be if you were sitting there in the evening, watching them come out. Cause where they go back in probably might not necessarily be where they come out mm -hmm. unless there's like a banging fence crossing, or there's just something that's like, they're just going to use it. Mm -hmm. So you might, you might learn something that way, but I don't know, man, there's, there's nothing better than getting your eyes on them and just seeing what they do. Like, Right. You know, if they go back in, if you see them go back in onto that property, you can hunt or you see them on that CRP or whatever, you've got such, such good information because you know, they're yeah. there. They're not going that far, probably even in Nebraska. And so you, you would have something to work with big time. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Here's another random question. It, so I've, you know, I've kind of mentioned three cover types and again, I'm not used to any of these really well, minus the, you know, the woodlot, but, uh, you know, all in a small area, all in this 110 acres, you have standing corn, you'll have CRP and you'll have some timber, you know, in my mind, like all three of those equate to bedding of some kind, like in your experience, would you, does one of those stick out to you more than the others? Like, would you say there'll absolutely be bedding in that corn or there'll absolutely be bedding in that CRP? Um, I would say when you get there and you're unloading your stuff, pay attention to how many times you swap mosquitoes. I mean, <laughs> because they are, you can get situations down there in early season hunts where the mosquitoes are unreal. And if that's the case, they're not going to be bedding in that woodlot because you're going to walk in there and it's going to be horrible. And so they're either going to be using that corn and a little microclimate in there where it's cooler down by the dirt, or they're probably going to be in that CRP where they can catch some wind. So I would guess like just, just seeing those, those screenshots you sent me of the place, I would pay more attention to the CRP right now than anything. Mm -hmm. just just because it's probably most likely but you see those deer so often and this this might actually work against you going early right now um because there's times where you'll see them bed right in the beans out out where they're catching wind and the bugs aren't horrendous and that's really going to be a factor and, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's more of a factor than just shade or being cool because mm -hmm. th those bugs can be like biblical yeah. and so i would pay attention to that even if it's you know, even if it doesn't seem super bad where you are, you know, if you're at a house and it's not like all wooded in, when you walk into that woods, you would know a lot. Or if you just get out there to glass at first light and it's calm, you're going to know, the, you know, like kind of to some level how those deer are reacting to the, the bugs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Never would have thought of that. That's awesome. That's a great tip. You're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'll just tell you like quickly, I, they'll, the last time I killed a velvet buck in September was a couple of years ago. And the bachelor group that I found, they were primarily betting in a, in a bean field on a walk-in property. And it was because the bugs were so relentless that when you got into the woods, it was just, it was unbelievable. And so they were like, Hey, you know, we have enough cover here and, you know, three and a half foot tall beans they could catch the right wind and the bugs weren't there. And it was just like, they'd stand up, eat for a while and lay down. Mm -hmm. And when they get into that situation, 
you know, if you don't have something like that, it's pretty tough. I'm not saying you're not going to have deer to work with. You will, but mm -hmm. when you're on top of something like that, it's like a gold mine because a mm -hmm. bunch of the deer figure that out because they're so in tune to their environment. And if you're not, if you don't have that, it's just tougher, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When, uh, when I found out there, you know, they obviously most farmers alternate beans and corn every other year. I found out as a corn year, I, I knew that that was not going to be in my advantage, but, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and this is kind of, I think I know the answer to this question, but does that corn, I mean, does it hold any food value to those deer right now? Um, it, it might, depending on how, how dry it is, it might when you're there, I see, you know, I do a lot of glassing in August and when corn hits that milky stage, you will see them turn to it. They'll, they'll tear bears do too up here. It's crazy, but they will get on it as a food source and it can be really good if you can get on an edge, like of a irrigation ditch or something. Cause they kind of just, you'll, you'll hear them actually rip it down and they'll, they'll go along those edges. I don't, I don't see them. I don't see deer bed in the corn in the summer or, you know, like Labor Day weekend. Like that's not, it's not as common as you probably think. I think it happens later in the, later in the season a lot more, mm -hmm. but they will use it. If it's, if it's at the right stage, they'll use it as a food source, but you'd be able to tell probably really quick walking an edge. Like you walk those head rows, you're going to know if that's even an option or not. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. And then I have a question on the wind. So, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a decently experienced uh, hunter. I know the wind is a big deal. Um, but where I hunt a lot of time, like you basically have two winds on a normal day, you have a South or Southeast wind. And if you have a cold front, you have a North wind. Like that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, in preparation for this hunt, part of my scouting is I, you know, looked up the weather and I've been checking the wind, just trying to figure out what the, you know, the common wind is. And it seems like there's absolutely no pattern. Uh, you know, it'll be one direction in the morning, a different direction in the evening. The next day it's two different directions. Um, is that common in that area to just have wind all over the place? And if so, like, you know, if I check the wind in the morning, what are the chances of it staying like that? You know, whatever they predict, or is it just in the center of the country, the wind's just what it is? Well, it, that's partially true. And, you know, I mean, it's going to be, it's pretty likely to be hot unless there's a front coming through. So it's pretty likely you're going to be dealing with a south or a west wind then. I mean, I would just kind of count on that. But you also have to think, you know, you're working in the moment or, you know, you're working six, eight, 10, 12 hours ahead of your sit at most, you're going to have up to, you know, up to date wind forecasts. Like mm -hmm. you're going to know probably what you're dealing with mm -hmm. and it's, it's not going to be as wonky as you probably think. I think, I think you'll be fine with it, but you're not going to know. I mean, do paying attention now, you know, you've got several weeks before mm -hmm. that hunt. And so it's, it's probably going to level off to a pretty consistent pattern, and, you know, unless you get that frontal situation coming in, then it might be a different story. But if that happens, you might also have some deer moving on their feet, you know, at, at earlier or later in the morning than you think. And mm -hmm. so it might give you an advantage anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I was just curious about that. Like I said, I'm, you know, Oklahoma is known for being a pretty windy spot, but uh, the part of Oklahoma, I mean, it's, it's fairly consistent. And so, um, just, uh, another one of those things I've been, been wondering. And so, um, another question I had, which you, you already kind of hit on is, you know, let's say the neighbors across the road have soybeans. I mean, chances are the deer are going to be hammering into those soybeans. They're going to be like their life is going to be surrounded or into those soybeans. Well, I mean, yeah, that's pretty likely, but mm -hmm. I would say, you know, this is, this is something that happens to people a lot when they do this, especially if it's, you know, your first trip doing this kind of thing, hunting in this kind of area, a lot of, you know, if the neighbors have a, a soybean field in there, you're probably going to see a bachelor group in there, mm -hmm. but if they're not in play, they're not in play. And I, I see this happen a lot with, with people who travel, especially, oh, I've seen this in Oklahoma, even where if, if you're hunting checkerboard stuff, like maybe the black kettle, you know, you, you might have a section here of private, a section here of public, and then, you know, back and forth and people get really hung up on what they see on the private when they're driving around. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, if you can't go there, what, what good does it do? You know, like what, if it, it doesn't do you any good to sit there and hope they're going to come over to your farm 
mm-hmm. when you know just logic dictate, dictates they probably won't that time of year. So you might, you know, I would just be careful about falling into that trap and being like, okay, there is a bean field there, and it might come into play with the deer on yours, or it might mm-hmm. not. And if it doesn't, it doesn't freaking matter anymore. Like, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't do you any good. It's time. It's time to move on because there's going to be a buck that you want to shoot that's using that property. Like there yeah. just is, and mm-hmm. you know, one of those deer is worth you know, 20 of them in a bachelor group on a place that you, you don't have access to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then another thing we talked about, you know, you asked about tree stand or ground blind or anything on a, a short spur of the moment trip like this. Uh, would you risk a ground blind? Like, you know, that new random brown blob, is that just going to completely freak a deer out? Um, or is it worth it to bring it? Um, or would you just suggest maybe tucking into the corn or a patch of CRP? Um, you know, I would bring it. I I would have it just in case, but I just me personally on a trip that short on a place like that, I probably there's probably like a two percent chance I'd use it. I mean, you're you're gonna be there in the early season, you know. I mean, you can tuck into the cornfield if you need to. You're gonna have you're gonna have a ton of cover to use. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I don't like, even when you really, really brush them in, I don't, I don't have that much confidence right away with ground blinds typically, unless there's just like a perfect situation to really, really hide them. And there usually isn't. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I would have it with you. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Right. But I right. wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it that much. Like I, I would, if I found a place where I wanted to be on the ground, I would probably be looking just, I can go build a natural ground blind, tuck in and have a way better chance of having close bow range type of natural deer movement. Mm-hmm. On a quick hunt like this, uh, you know, in the very center of this property on that map, I sent you, you can see there's a pretty nice little, or not little, but pretty big hill. And you can look off, you know, either side, um, you got timber to the east, you got the corn to the west. Um, would you ever be in a situation where maybe set that ground blind up on the very top of that hill and maybe try to watch some deer come in and then try to, you know, maybe stalk them or put a play on them that evening, something like that? Or would you suggest not, you know, putting up a big giant blob in the middle of this hill? Yeah, man, I'd have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. I. I, I just think it's unnecessary. It's an yeah. unnecessary thing to carry in. It's going to be noisy. It's big. It's easy to spot. It's full of scent. And it's, you just don't have enough time. And, you know, when I look at, when I look at the, the aerial photos of that property that you sent me, I mean, I would say there's probably a really, really good chance. Cause it looks like it's CRP or all the way around the woods. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you might just be able to go in, walk that wood edge with that lone wolf on your back and look for the best trail coming out of that timber and set up over it and be done. Like yeah. that might, it might literally be that simple. And you might, if, if not, you might put yourself in an observation situation anywhere where you see them in that CRP doing something else that you can move on the next night, or you can see down into that woods and figure something out. Yeah. Yeah um on that picture there's two little tree stand symbols that those are i I really put those more as kind of observation type deals um but i was also thinking you know if that neighbor to the south has some soybeans uh being on the kind of the edge of that little thin strip of timber heading out into those soybeans might be a good idea um you know that would be maybe a little bit more of a uh not advanced, a more aggressive. That's the word I'm looking for. Maybe a little bit more of an aggressive stand. And then that one kind of up on the north side, I had that one more as like an observation type stand. Um, what do you think about those two locations? Just to throw it out there. Um, the one on the, the, the eastern side there where that mm-hmm. finger goes way out, mm-hmm. that's probably a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the one on top on the, looks like the north side of that property. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just sort of an island in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, you as an observation sit, sure, that's a mm-hmm. that would probably be your best choice. But you know, I don't I wouldn't be comfortable with the amount of time you have going, I want to sit a true observation without with probably pretty low likelihood of having mm-hmm. a deer walk by. So you mm-hmm. you'd probably see something from there, but then you're down to, you know, one or two nights of hunting or whatever you've got. Yeah. And so I would, I would try to get in there on something that I thought, you know, even if I wasn't like, 
even if it wasn't like super exciting or you're like, this is the spot. I'd rather be somewhere where I've got a trail 20 yards away from me. And maybe there is there, I don't know, but I wouldn't just go straight observation with an evening that time of year without at least giving myself a shot at something walking by. Gotcha. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Okay. All right. Um, I feel like we've hammered the, uh, the strategy stuff quite a bit. I got a few more just kind of general uh, questions for type uh, or hunt this time of year. Um, you know, for somebody like yourself, you've hunted out the state quite a bit. You've done a lot of these hunts. You've killed a lot of bucks. Um, but for me, you know, like I said, I've done mostly private land stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of the bucks I kill, I have trail cam pictures of and stuff or history with. Um, I, I don't want to say like standards as far as like a score, but, uh, you know, when you go somewhere where you've never step foot on the ground, how do you kind of adjust your standards? Like, what are you looking to, to shoot? You know, like, um, I know a lot of people are saying like, you know, the best buck in the area, but you know, I don't even know what the best buck in the area is. You know, I don't know if a, a two-year-old is what I need to look for or hold out for a four-year-old. How do you go about kind of setting your standards of what you want to shoot on a trip like this? Well, I, I mean, when you, when you're talking to having a couple of days, Mm-hmm. I, I have pretty low standards. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that just kills the enjoyment for a lot of people who try traveling hunting is they go in with unrealistic standards. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, let's just say, you know, let's just use Pope and Young minimum, right? Like 125 mm-hmm. inches. Let's mm-hmm. say you're like, okay, I want to go. That's, that's when I'm picking up my bow. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, if you lived in Nebraska, that might be a season long goal in that region. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. that might be something that's not really, you know, we kind of, we talk about that. Like that's not that big of a deal. That's a good deer. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you're showing up in a place you've never been to and you have a couple of sits, like, I don't know. I think I'd be going to hunt for deer. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know if I would have and you know, I mean, it depends if you think you could go back later or you know you're going to kill enough deer at home where you don't have to really worry about the meat or something like okay mm-hmm. but i look at this stuff and i i keep a pretty open mind because it is mm-hmm. it's just not it's not that easy and we've kind of painted a picture like it is and you know when you when you start going well you know i just want a nice three and a half four and a half year old buck it's like well yeah so does everybody but that's like you know two percent of the hunters kill that in any given season in any given state mm-hmm and now you're talking about doing it on a quick trip like this where you've never even seen the ground and yeah it can be done like you might get there and it might be on fire and you see a big velvet group and you're just you've got it going on but you know if you go do something like this and you have maybe four sits or five sits like okay the wind might switch on you once and the neighbor's dog might run on it in on you once or whatever like all of a sudden you're down to like almost nothing and so I don't know. I I start pretty low and I work yeah. my way up. I don't start up and work my way down. I go the other way. That's absolutely me. That's kind of been my mind. You know, I'm I'm not doing this so that I can go and hopefully try to kill the biggest buck I've ever killed in my life. You know, for me, this is so much about the adventure. Um, you know, like I said, I've listened to you and other people talk about this for years. And uh, you know, it <laughs> it's not gonna take much to get me excited, I think is what I'm trying to say here. Um, and even you know, like I've been saving up points for Iowa. Uh, you know, I, I got five Iowa points, hopefully in the next year or two, I'm going to be able to hunt there. I've never hunted Iowa before. And even on that type of hunt, like I, even that, like in Iowa, sh- could I kill the biggest buck of my life? Sure. But that's not why I'm going there. Like I'm going there because I've never experienced a crazy all out insane, you know, rut where you have seven bucks chasing one doe and that type of thing. So, um, so yeah, I'm, like I said, I, I guess, I don't know if I've, it's because I've killed enough deer that I'm, uh, you know, ready to expand or what, but, uh, I'm, I'm getting much more into the experience, uh, journey of my, my hunting journey. Do you, do you, uh, have an idea where you're looking at to draw down there in Iowa? Are you looking um, at the Southern, one of the Southern zones? Probably. Um, I have a, a person or two that I've talked to, uh, you know, some potential leads on hunting, but nowhere specific. Are you, do you plan on hunting public or private or what? Um, probably public. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say you'll be just fine, but I mean, 
the one thing that I would I would pay attention to, and you have enough points now where you're going to want to do this anyway. But those, mm-hmm. you know, the three kind of, you know, most in demand zones down there, you know, they're in demand for a reason. Like there's mm-hmm. people people think they're going to go in and have just a bang and hunt uh, during the rut. But you're also, you know, if you're going to hunt public land, you're going to have competition. Like mm-hmm. Iowa is a freaking blast. It really is, even on public land. But it is, you know, it's still kind of one of those hunts that, you know, your your results are kind of commensurate to your your effort, you know. Mm-hmm. And so people people look at Iowa as, you know, just kind of like, you know, it's going to be really easy and it can be kind of easy, but it's still, you know, like, especially if you're going to hunt public land, like you're going to feel like you worked for it. And it's yeah. that that part's actually like awesome. Cause if you go and you know what you're doing in Iowa and you spend some time on public land down there, you are going to be around, you know, maybe not one eighties, but like one forties, mm-hmm. like you're going to be around really beautiful deer and you're going to have your chance. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I, I was thinking about going this year, but ended up uh, going on an elk hunt this fall. That's part of the reason I don't have as much vacation time for this uh, Nebraska hunt. Um, so right. I, I have way more hunts uh, than I do vacation time to do them all. <laughs> and so yeah, that's, a, uh, that's a common problem. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, you know, Oklahoma, we're, we're blessed. I, most people I don't think realize the the quality of the deer herd in Oklahoma and uh it's it's kind of funny actually uh i reached out to one of my my friends after i talked to you about coming on the show and he had just finished uh reading your book actually and uh, i was like hey you know i'm gonna have him on do you have any questions and he said i don't have any questions but uh you need to tell him to quit telling people about oklahoma <laughs> you know i love oklahoma man mm-hmm. i i've i've hunted you know different corners of that state i've only ever hunted public land down there and I would say probably the nicest, uh, the nicest resident hunters I've ever run into were in Oklahoma. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's generally always been just a really good experience. And it's funny because, you know, I've, I've had encounters with a couple big ones down there, like really nice deer. And I, I didn't kill them. I, I've mm-hmm. killed other deer down there, but it's just always been like, I've never gone to Oklahoma and been like, this sucks. I've always been like, this was mm-hmm. a fun hunt. And it, mm-hmm it's a different thing. You know, I mean, you do have a lot of pressure down there and you have, you, you know, you have the situation where, you know, if you're on private, you can't bait. And if you're on, mm-hmm. or sorry, if you're on public, you can't bait and you're on private, you see the freaking feeders all over. And it's like <laughs> a mental thing, you know, where you're like, uh-huh. Oh my God, do I have any deer around? And you do, you know? And so I kind of think in some ways that that makes it really fun down there because you don't have, you know, like as a non-resident going to public land, you don't have that crutch. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. check the cameras on the feeder and go sit there. Mm-hmm. And so you got to figure it out. And man, it's just, it's fun down there. If, you know, I'll, I'll tell your buddy, I'll stop talking about it after this. Podcast. <laughs> okay. All but right. Yeah. I, I guess I, that's when you kind of have to, but, <laughs> but I, I do, you know, and it, and it, it honestly, like what I say about the people down there, I, that's part of the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've hunted States where the residents are just flat out pricks to non-residents and it's just not fun like it's mm-hmm. it's not fun to be there and feel like you're hated because you live across this arbitrary state line like that's so dumb yeah. and you know nebraska is the same way like when when i go to nebraska i love it because people wave at me like where i grew up in this little dairy farming community in southern minnesota you know like i I'm like i just feel like i'm around my people and that makes it more enjoyable overall mm-hmm. yeah yeah one of the one of the hard parts about my job is, you know, kind of talking about Oklahoma a lot. And, uh, you know, the show is, it's, it's about everything, but we cover a lot of deer hunting, but Oklahoma is so diverse, you know, especially from East to West, you know, Eastern, you're literally in the mountains, you can hunt bears, you go West, you're hunting sand hills with, you know, plum thickets and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, talking about the state, it's very hard to make generalizations about Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a cool state, man. I, mm-hmm. I wish I wish I lived a little closer because uh, it's mm-hmm. a it's a commitment for me to hunt there. And, you know, it's it's that Oklahoma's far enough away from me. You know, it'd be like when you come up to Iowa, you're hunting different ground. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that's just a different kind of place and different kind of habitat than you're used to. I'm sure living down mm-hmm. there. And when when I go to Oklahoma, like I'll never forget the first time I hunted down there. I was going out to one of my stands in the morning and I was using a headlamp. 
and the amount of freaking spiders that were like <laughs> way too big and hanging across the trail it was like mm-hmm. I, and i hate spiders it was like nightmare fuel for me uh-huh. and you know like i'm a you know i'm from minnesota so i'll set my tent out and i'll look down and be like what are these red ants here and you know one of the locals will be like those are fire ants you know like <laughs> totally clueless but i love that stuff because it's such a it's just cool to get out of your element you know yeah yeah I got one other Oklahoma-based question for you. Um, as kind of a an insider looking out, I guess, you know, when you hear – well, first off, you don't hear a whole lot of people talk about Oklahoma, which we secretly enjoy. Um, but when you do, it seems like we have a reputation as an opportunity state and not yeah. like a quality state. Uh, I guess, first off, would you agree with that? You know, I would just, – just because of the, you know, the deer density in a lot of places – and, you know, the opportunities on your tags, I would say it probably leans more toward opportunity, but, you know, anytime you get that many deer and you have, you know, you have a state where you don't have, you know, like there's no winter kill down there, right? Like, <laughs> no. you know, you're not, you're not dealing with the same stuff that a lot of other places are like, you're going to have deer that get old. I don't <laughs> care how much pressure you have. And so, yeah, you, there's some freaking quality down there big time, but yeah. it's just a, you know, it's, it's nice to go by, you know, like that, that Iowa tag that you're, you're chasing here that you're going to draw eventually, you know, you, they make you buy a doe tag that nobody wants. And it's like 125 bucks. And then you got to buy your, you know, you it, it's part of your whole tag thing. And so you're into it for a lot of money. And then you go to Oklahoma and they're like, here's six tags, you know, <laughs> yeah. for like 400 bucks and you can shoot two bucks and four does, or you could mm-hmm. the last time I was there. I'm like, geez, that's really nice. You know I mean? Yeah. If you go down there and you hear something walking down the trail, you're like, well, <laughs> I'm going to grab my bow because I'm probably going to be shooting. Uh-huh. Yep. That plays into part two of that question, though. There's a lot of people, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's certain people in the state that want to see us go from a two-buck state to a one-buck state. Um, personally, I'm not really for it. I I love, you know, I love shooting deer and, you know, call me fortunate, but typically I have, you know, I, I, instead of using one tag for like a, you know, a small little rump buck and then saving the other one for a trophy, I, I like to use mine as more of a, a quality management tag. You know, I'm after one trophy and then I'm going to shoot an old, you know, six or seven year old buck. That's a raggedy old eight point. That's, you know, never was anything or something like that. But, but there's a lot of people wanting to push to a one buck state because they see, you know, Kansas and Iowa and that type of stuff. You got any two cents on that? Do you uh, have a preference or, you know, would you see it change? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm probably not the best guy to ask on Oklahoma deer management, but you know, I would say, would that make a big difference? I don't know what, what, how many people are filling both buck tags? You know I mean? Is it, is it really hammering the resource or is it just, you know, sour grapes from some people? I don't, I don't know. Like maybe there is a legitimate complaint there that there are too many bucks being taken off, but you're not gonna, if they went to a one buck's you know, one buck limit in Oklahoma, Oklahoma's not going to be the next Iowa. Yeah. It, it, you know, and quite frankly, it's not going to be the next Kansas either. And Kansas isn't even the same Kansas it was, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you really want to, if you really want to preserve the, or, you know, or have way better deer hunting down there, there's probably better options than that. And mm-hmm. unless it is, you know, I mean, if, if the biologists are saying, Hey, we're, we're taking too many bucks out then it's kind of a no brainer. Cause it's a resource based thing, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't just like my, you know, gut instinct on that is like, I don't know if that would be the ticket. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I'm trying to think, uh, we got a little off topic there. Started talking about Oklahoma, but that's a okay by me. Um, any other early season stuff that I missed that, uh, that I overlook or things I should be looking for? Um, Man, I would say if you, if you get in, I mean, you know, it depends how hot it's going to be, but my, I, I would say it's probably going to be pretty hot. It usually is down there. Um, if you get out and you're walking around, I just, I'd say just pay attention to what you feel. Like I, I noticed this so many times going for a run or something in the summer where I'll, I'll run a route and it'll dip down into like a cattail slough where there's like a trail going through the cattail slough. And it'll feel like it's like 10 degrees cooler and you're just in that little microclimate. And I always think about bucks living out there and they know everything. You take that square mile or whatever their, you know, 800 acres, whatever their home range is, 
they know where all those little spots are, you know, like they know where to bed when the wind's out of the Southwest Southeast and the, and the bugs are horrible, right? Like they know where to bed when the sun's right overhead or when the shades this way or that way, they know all that stuff. And so when you're, when you're going through there and you're, you know, if you're getting out moving around, you jump a buck somewhere, hunt him. Or if you get into a spot and you feel that like that, where the, the terrain is a little bit different in that farm, pay attention to that stuff. Cause it, you know, if it feels good to you, it's going to feel good to them, you know? And I've, I've had a lot of success on velvet bucks that, you know, if I can't observe them, I mean, that's, that's the number one thing, right? Like you see them doing something, you could just go, go capitalize on it. That's, that's why they're so fun to hunt. But the next best thing is when I'm just bumbling through there and I'm looking for something and I jump one, I'm like, he was there for a reason. There was, it's not a coincidence. It wasn't random that that buck was bedded in that CRP under that little island of trees or whatever. And he took off. That's important. So when you, when you have something like that, that's, that matters so much. Gotcha. That reminded me of one other question that I meant to ask earlier that I forgot. And this, I don't know if this is a question or more of a statement, but uh, just because of how I've always hunted. And again, I'm, I'm trying to kind of get out of that. That's why I'm doing this hunt and, uh, you know, kind of doing this before I go to Iowa to get some of this experience for out of state. But, uh, you know, I could see myself being very, very married to this 110 acres because that's what I went there to hunt. That's the private land that I have access to. That's, you know, where my sister is and all that stuff. But, you know, at what point do I need to be like, hey, I just need to scrap this plan that I've been pouring over for weeks and weeks and weeks and go somewhere else? I don't think you have enough time for that. You don't think so? Uh, okay. No, I mean, I, you know, I've never hunted private land in Nebraska, but I, if you said, Tony, you can go down here and, you know, this, you have at it and, mm -hmm. it, and then you ask me, like, do you have a plan B? and I had the same amount of time you have, I wouldn't have a plan B. Like, gotcha. Even, you know, if I go someplace, it's just so different. If I, if I go someplace and I'm, you know, I'm going to be hunting public. And even if I only have four days, I'm going to have probably plan A through E because mm -hmm. I might get there and it's just not right. The, there's too many people or just, you know, typically that, but mm -hmm. there's just something, but this one, when you've got, you know, there shouldn't be anybody else in there. Like, you're going to be there right on the, right around the opener. Like you're, that's a really good setup. I would just, I would just say that 110 acres has a buck. You're going to be happy with go find him. Gotcha. Uh, that, uh, that actually calms my heart quite a lot because like I said, I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I guess you're right. Two or three days, you know, there's only so much you can discover. So yeah, yeah. I can, I just see myself being very married to that. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's a, that's a smart move in my opinion. I mean, you know, it's probably going to be, you know, the one thing that you see with this kind of stuff is, you know, you do a ton of e-scouting and you can get some local intel and you can, you can kind of set yourself up, but you just got to get there and see it. And mm -hmm. it's always different than you think. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm just like continually amazed how often I will scout so hard, like e-scout something and I'll show up and it's just in my head, I had a picture of how I was going to go and the spots I wanted to be. And I get there and it's always different mm -hmm. and, but that's okay. Like if you kind of roll with the punches that way, you, you'll do just fine. And I think that's kind of the secret. Like I was talking to Andy May today. I kind of think it's the secret of a lot of the guys who really get it done a lot is they're just like, they get used to that kind of mistake and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't upset the apple cart at all. They're just like, oh, okay, well this, this is different. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I bumped this buck. Now what? They're not, they, they don't lose their heads over it. They're just like, okay. Now, like the thing has changed a little bit. The parameters have changed. What's next? And if you kind of get into that flow state with hunting, it's really a nice place to be. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll head up there this September and scout it out. And then next year when it's in beans, you can come out there and join me and I'll just follow you around and take notes. So. Man, if that farm was in beans, I think it would be a pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty simple scenario. Yep. I agree. I agree. So, uh, well, Tony, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been great. Uh, I do want to give you a chance real quick to, to shout out, uh, you know, all the work you've done, your, you know, books, social media, whatever you'd like to do. So, uh, if people want to learn more about you, where do they need to go? Uh, you know, all of my whitetail content, actually all my hunting content now is on, uh, you know, the or the wired to hunt YouTube channel or 
some some aspect of meat eater somehow. Um, I do have that bow hunting public man whitetails book out there on Amazon that people can order up. Um, you know, social media is at Tony J Peterson. Uh, I hate it. I do it, uh, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> if I get yeah. kicked out of the hunting industry, you won't see me on social media anymore. I can tell you that much. Uh, uh-huh. But you know, it, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't mind it that much. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, the meat eater things the the main the main thing the main spot people can find me at. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, tell Mark if he ever uh, decides to stop fly fishing and wants to go deer hunting again, give me a call and uh, we'll work something out or maybe have him on the podcast. Or if he gets back from his, uh, what was he at last time? The yo-yo convention? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he does. He has a lot of strange hobbies. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tony, like I said, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me. All right. We'll talk to you later. And there we have it, folks. Thank you, Tony, for coming on. That was amazing. And I was kind of realizing as I was finishing that up that uh, it's just it's now going to be my own fault if I'm unsuccessful because I just got a lot of really good advice from a really good, really experienced deer hunter. But like I said, this trip is really just about having fun. Um, I'm super excited for this new experience and uh, even though it's private land, I almost kind of feel like it's public because it's not like I, you know, have all this time to like pre-hang, pre-hang stands and uh, and scout and all that stuff. So I am hunting private, but I've never stepped foot on it before. So it's just, it's just an adventure. And that's why I love it. That's why I'm going because I want that adventure. So super awesome podcast. Thank you again, Tony. Um, man, real hard transition. I told you guys I was going to gonna update you guys on some gear and stuff that I bought and tell you a quick story. So uh, yeah, yesterday I got off work a little bit early and I've kind of had this shopping list growing in, you know, like on my phone of stuff I was needing for this upcoming season. And yesterday I finally just kind of started pulling the trigger. Um, and so I uh, picked out some new boots for from Cabela's for my late season Colorado elk hunt. Um, I went with a Cabela's brand. Um, I've had some of their boots in the past. They've always done me pretty well. Um, and so I had enough Cabela's points saved up that I actually got those for free and had like $6 worth of points left over. Uh, so those are going to be awesome. Uh, the boot, I, I don't remember what the model was, but it actually has like more insulation in the toe and then less in the rest of the boot, which I am all about because my toes get super cold. Uh, but normally my actual feet are okay. So pretty excited about those. And then, man, I decked out my trad bow. <laughs> that's uh, that's the main stuff that I've kind of been putting off. But, uh, I mean, needing to order, really, because I need to start practicing. But uh, I got some new arrows coming. I ordered some Day 6 gear arrows that I'm, uh, yeah, cannot wait for those. I ordered some Magnus broadheads for both my traditional bow and my regular bow, my compound. And then I ordered a Selway quiver for the longbow. And so... That's basically completely decked out now. Uh, Man, it's been so hot. I've been putting off shooting, uh, but I've gotten back into it this week. I've already shot twice this week in the last, like, two or three days. Um, And, man, I, I will say... This trad bow, like it is, it is something else. Like you cannot just put it down for a while, pick it back up, and pick up where you left off. Um, man, it it takes some work. And that first uh, that first time pulling it out after not shooting it for about two months, I was struggling big time. So wearing off some of the dust now, but I got a, a, a lot more practice to do. And uh, yeah, ready to get my new arrows in. Uh, I ordered them like pre-cut and everything. I ordered them with 100 grains up front, and then I'm going to put a 125-grain broadhead on it. So I'm going to be shooting some nice high FOC arrows for the trad bow because it's you know goes like the speed of a snail. <laughs> so excited about that. Uh, so yeah, I ordered all that stuff, ordered my boots. I also ordered some, uh, some of the new Tacticam Reveal, actually some of the old Tactical, Tacticam Reveal X cell cameras. I've heard awesome things about them. Um, I, I have some friends that have used them. I was just looking for an affordable cell cam. My two trusty old Bushnells that I've used for years and years and years, um, they updated their stuff, and uh, I, I just I think my cameras are so old that I'm not even going to be able to update them to the new software in order to use them. So those are my have been my two main cell cams, and then uh, you know I, I have some cheap cameras with the the cell links on them. I love those, but I just don't know if I trust them to like put over a feeder and you know give me solid reliable intel and so that's what i ordered these new tacticams for 
So uh, yeah, I think the I think the Bushnells are getting retired, unfortunately. So I'll have the Tacticams over like my feeder setups, and then I'm going to use a lot of the spy links just in you know fence crossings, gates, uh, trails, that type of thing. So I'm going to be I'm going to be cell cammed out this year, uh, which I don't know how I feel about that. Some people say it takes it out of hunting. Um, for me, it just it. Yeah, the, the little bit that I am going to get to hunt this year, uh, I, like I've already accepted I'm not going to get to hunt as much as I have in the past because of my baby. Uh, so when I am out there hunting, like I want to make the absolute most of it. And so I want to stay up to date on, you know, how deer are moving, where deer are moving. Uh, you know, if my cameras are dead, maybe that's a weekend I just stay home with the wife and baby um, and then wait till things pick up. So so yeah, that's that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> you know, you can think whatever you want to think, but I'm gonna use them because they're available in the Leo. So, so yep, uh, got all that stuff. And then, uh, whoa. <laughs> so speaking of my baby, this is uh, one last quick story, and then uh, and then I'll let you guys go. But uh, I, my baby, she's been awesome. Uh, Hallie is her name. I don't know if I've said that actually on the podcast. Little Hallie. Um, she has slept amazing. She's ate amazing. Like she is spoiling us because she's such a good baby. Um, but, uh, she, every once in a while, she likes to, you know, spit up as babies do. And, uh, and when she does, it doesn't happen very often, but when she does, it's, it's an ordeal. Like it's a lot. And she's done it to my wife twice. Uh, my mom, her mom, and then my wife's grandma a little bit. Um, but I have stayed clear somehow it's been she's she'll be a month in like two days uh and uh i have yet to uh get spit up on you know she's like dribbled out of her mouth but not like projectiled on me well uh this would have been i think sunday evening and uh, i was sitting on the couch had the baby there in my lap and uh, i was feeding her and she hadn't been eating very good that day for some reason she's hadn't been eating very much and, uh, and so, you know, she would only eat like one or two ounces and then like an hour later she'd be hungry. She'd eat another one or two ounces. And, uh, so anyway, so I was feeding her, she was kind of acting like she was full and I was like, man, like I just, I just want her to eat more so I won't have to feed her again in an hour. And so I was trying to kind of encourage her to keep eating, you know, waving the bottle on her lips and stuff. She would eat a little bit more and then spit it out and eat a little more and spit it out. And, uh, I was like, oh yes, like, you know, she's eating, eating better. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, she let me know that that is not what she wanted, and uh, and she just spewed uh, all over the couch, all over me, all over my clothes. Uh, I kind of like yell and you know pick her up. My wife comes running over, and uh, and my wife starts to take the baby, but I was like, hey, I was like, I'm gross, she's gross. Like I'll just I'll deal with her if you want to start cleaning up the couch. So she says okay. So I take the baby over to the changing table, you know, strip her down, wipe her off a little bit, and uh, and I, and you know I'm looking over my wife. My wife's like cleaning, spit up off of pillows and the couch and everything. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, I just need to hurry as fast as I can get you know the baby taken care of so I can help her clean. And so uh, I look around and I see one of the little baby blankets. So I just throw her on the baby blanket, swaddle her real quick, and then start trying to help my wife. And uh, I had a, a Coke sitting on the couch. I pick it up, and it had some, like, spit up on it. And I was like, well, I'm not finishing this. So I pour it out, throw it in the trash can, and then I'm walking back over to help my wife, and uh, and my hand is wet. And I was like, what on earth? And I was like, how on earth did I spill that Coke on my hand when I was pouring it out in the sink? And that's when I noticed that my stomach also feels wet. And in my haste, I had not put another diaper on Hallie, and she was peeing all over me. And so, in the course of about five minutes, I got puked on and peed on. And so, yeah, that was basically my first big, uh, like, welcome to fatherhood type moment. Um, I listened to I listened to Dan's podcast last week, and he was talking about his kids' uh, unfavorable pooping habits, uh, like, you know, not wiping or using a whole roll of toilet paper. And I was kind of thinking, like, ah, glad I'm not at that point yet. And, uh, and those thoughts came back to absolutely just kick me in the butt. So... I know there's some parents out there. I know y'all know how I feel, and uh, and I'm sure there's plenty more of that uh, coming in the future. To you know, basically, I just need to get ready. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, so that was my uh, my welcome to uh, fatherhood type moment. Uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Sorry, I just had to tell these quick little stories here at the end. Um, I probably need to do a podcast about just like 
my equipment, what I'll be using this year, because I'm going to be, man, I'm going to be trad bow hunting, I'm going to be compound bow hunting, I'm going to be muzzle loader hunting, and I'll be rifle hunting for both whitetail and elk. And so I probably need to just do a full-on gear breakdown one of these podcasts, but if you're still listening to this at this point, my hat's off to you. You're probably one of about four people listening. So I'm going to let you guys go. I really appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. And until next week, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. 